Okay, as of now, we are being recorded, so no, whatever you say will be kept for posterity and available on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Um, okay, so we are on Avedazar, we're, we're, we're on Avedazar, Daf Gimel Uh towards the bottom third of a rough estimation of the Yamad. Um, we were we ended off last week talking about the merits and the importance of studying Torah at night. All right, the Gemara said that whoever studies Torah at night, Hashem gives him a chut shel chesed that gives him grace and bracha during the day. And we talked about also that even if someone comes to a share or comes to learn and falls asleep, that's still a very high madrega. And we brought the medrash that says that the dew from which they will revive the dead, this is a little bit uh, edgy, I guess, but comes from the saliva or the, or, or, or the drool that people drool when they fall asleep while learning. So there's a certain something special about falling asleep over over a gemar. Okay, so the gemar is now going to continue with the various mamari chazal and going through the importance of Torah. So we're starting from Amar of Yehuda. I, I, I kind of over exaggerated that it was two thirds down. It's more like uh, four fifths. It's the last four words on the line. Amar of Yehuda, uh, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, I would say eight eight lines on the bottom. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Shmuel. My dechsev. So what does it say? My dechsev. Vatase Adam kedige hayam kiremesh loy loy meishalbay. I made man like the fish of the sea. Lama nimshalu bnei Adam kedige hayam. Why are human beings likened to the fish of the sea? Loy marlach to teach you. Ma dagim shebiyam kivan sheoylam le yabasha miyad mesim. Fish, as soon as they leave the ocean, they, they die. Human beings as well, as soon as they stop learning Torah, they're porish. Now, the Befarshim over here say porish uh, doesn't mean that a person is not learning for one second, because as we know that everyone you know takes a, takes a break. Doesn't make a difference uh, what size, um, uh, what kind of masma they are, but instead of it's not using a language of mafsik, it's using a language of porish. Porish means that he distances himself from the duty or from or from or from the obligation of studying Torah, meaning Torah is no longer a part of his life. What does it mean miyad mesim? So the Masha explains that miyad mesim obviously doesn't mean physically; it means in a in a spiritual sense. So I'm sure everyone remembers the Gemara in the the uh, the story with Papas Ben Yehuda and Rabbi Akiva. It's brought in the Gemara uh, in Babakama and the Maral and the Marsha both both uh, uh, quoted here that when the Romans said that that people were not uh, allowed to study Torah, Rabbi Akiva continued to uh, teach Torah in public, and Papas Ben Yehuda said to him, "What are you doing? It's it's uh, uh, it's dangerous. It's uh, sakana." So Rabbi Akiva brought this mushal that there were fish in the ocean and they, sorry, fish, fish in the river and the fox came to them and he said, listen, there's a fisherman over there. You guys are in danger. Come out to the, to the, to the, to, um, uh, come, uh, come up from the river to the shore and I'm going to protect you. And the fish told him, we thought you were a clever animal, but this is suicide for us. So the marshal over there and the morale also, they make a similar point. They, they point out why is it that we are likened to fish in the sea specifically. 
So there is one explanation that Torah is likened to water. So just like fish require water to live, so to uh, we require the water, which is Torah, to live as well. That's that's one approach. Another another approach is that the idea of what it means life in this context that they're talking about is eternal life. There's a medrash that says there's a, there's, there are there are rishonim that say that the revival of the dead. Your it 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 is dependent on one's attachment to Torah and nothing else. Meaning, a person could have done chesed, a person could have done all sorts of mitzvahs, but whether or not they will be able to have chiyas depends. It doesn't mean necessarily actively studying Torah. It could mean supporting Torah, being being involved in Torah. Obviously, people's circumstances matter, and but it means making Torah a a a part of your life. That is something which gives you eternal life. Because Torah is a chayim he le machazikim, but it's something which the connection to it is what gives life. So therefore, we're likened to fish that, that they get their life from the water just like we get our life from Torah. Okay. So the Gemara continues, and now it brings a, uh, another, another explanation. Uh, another approach. Once the water temperature, or you know, once the sun heats up the water too hot, they die. Right? Fish are very sensitive to changes of the temperature of the um, of the water. So to people, when they turn up the sun, they die. Global warming is a threat to humanity. There are some that, that answer this that, that this is that this is referring to this world. And there are those that say that, that, that when we're talking about bringing out the heat of the sun, we're talking about an event or a phenomena that's going to happen in the world to come. So what does it mean? Everything is in the hands of heaven except for sicknesses that come from cold or overheating. How do we know this? That they, they will cause you to stumble. Somebody who, who, who cares for himself should distance themselves from it. Tysus over here has a long conversation where he tries to bring proofs that there were instances where different uh, Amirayim, Tanayim, davened to be protected from, from, from either heat or sun. And Tysus explains how each one in its own circumstance, whether a, man to, a person was davening to be able to afford to buy uh, warm clothing. Another case was where, where uh, Antoninus was going on the way and Rebbe davened for him to protect him from the heat, that was done because since he was on the way, he had no way of protecting himself from heat stroke, so he needed divine intervention. But someone at home can build themselves a cellar and sit and uh, be cool. Not sure if Tysus ever lived in Rehovot, but uh, there, I guess, protecting yourself from the heat is more of a challenge. But there's an obvious question over here. Why aren't, like, why aren't, you know, Tzinim Mupachim, Everything else is Bidei All other sicknesses are Bidei Everything else is 
defined by God and uh, and uh, decided on by God. Why specifically Tzinim Upachim, diseases that come from the cold and the heat are not? So it's interesting, I actually looked for this for, for a while, over the past couple of days. I couldn't find anybody who explains why specifically Tzinim Upachim are not Midei Shemayim. So the only approach I have is my own, but I'm sure there's a much better one out there, I just didn't find it. So if anyone does find it, please feel free to let me know where it is. I would very much appreciate it. So I, so my idea about why Tzinim Upachim specifically are not Midei Shemayim has to do with the Pasuk and Parsha Snayach that after, that after the Mabal, the Pasuk says that Hashem thought to Himself. Vaidaber, where are we? Sorry. Here. Pasuk, it's 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 Parak it's Parak Ches and Brachas Pasuk Chafalov. Vayarach Hashem et Reach Hanichayach. Hashem smelled the Reach Hanichayach of the Karbanos that Noah brought after the Mabel. Vayomer Hashem Aliba and Hashem said to himself. There's a lot of interesting drash over here. What this means, Hashem talking to himself. It happens in in uh, a few places in the Torah, and there's interesting discussion what that means. But Hashem says, I am no longer going to curse the land because of man. Why? A human being deals with overwhelming temptation. They have a Yetzirah, a human being is guaranteed to fall and guaranteed to, to, to slip over the course of his life. I will no longer go to the extent that I did to wipe out all living things. Still, that now there will be all the seasons Zara Vikatsir. Kar v'chaim, cold and heat. The Svarna over here says, among many others, that until this point in human history, there was no such thing as seasons. There was always springtime or some kind of, you know, uh, temperate climate. It was after the Mabel, because of the fact that humans were no longer able to live until 120, as, as, as it says in, in the end of Bracious, also because of the destruction that human beings had done to the earth, seasons were introduced. So that means that as far as the plan of creation goes, all other sicknesses were included in, in the plan of creation. But kar winter and summer, the heat and cold, was something that was introduced later by, by human action. So therefore, maybe, the reason why Tzinim Upachim are not Pidei Shemayim was because their existence was not introduced by God. It was introduced by the actions of man. It was introduced as a consequence, as, as part of the necessary reality of Ki Adam Ra Ra Me'inura. So maybe that's why something that is something which doesn't fit under the regular terms of Hashkacha, and that's entirely in in uh, in the hands of man. That's that's my idea. Okay. So that's what it means um, that Baylam Hazem. We are likened to fish that were sensitive to heat, just like fish are. Now, 
This this answer to the Gemara is very hard to understand because what like why fish? I mean, every animal is sensitive to heat, right? You heat up, you know, Antarctica enough, all the uh, all the polar bears die, right? Why? Okay, so that's yeah, that's a great point. So that's what I wanted to say that that the fish, as as everyone pointed out, were the only ones who survived the marble, and it says that even though. Even though the waters were uh, were boiling hot, the measure says that there were pools of cool water around uh, where each fish was, meaning that the fish at that point had a special hashgacha that they were protected from the heat. But now it's actually going a backwards inference that now fish and us were all the same, that we have the same lack of hashgacha and we are no longer protected from the heat. That there is absolutely no more hashgacha anymore when it comes to hot and cold. So, but before they built the clouds, the clouds were already built to stop the sun from penetrating into the earth. The clouds are built by mean by God in the beginning, right? So, so this is talking about well after creation. We're talking about right now during the period after after the flood. So after the flood is when God introduces the, the season, summer and winter. Before that, it seems the sun wasn't the problem. Okay? Fine. So the Gemara says, continues, now, uh, so second to bottom line, two words in, there are some that say that we're talking about in the world to come. There was no Gehenim lost in lava. Gehenim, right, however we understand it, is something that only happens in the period after a person dies until the time of Tchiyas HaMesim. Now, this understanding that Gehenim only exists from this period of time until Tchiyas HaMesim is one that's held by most Rishayim. However, if you learn through the Rambam in his, in his introduction to Perk Chelek, the Rambam over there seems to have different ideas about Gehenim and Olam Haba and what the whole timeline of everything is, which this Gemara doesn't go with as well in the, in the, uh, in the view um, of the Rambam. But the, the Pashtas, the Ramban and many others, is that people die, there is this concept of Gehenim, there will be Tchiyas HaMesim, after the period of Tchiyas HaMesim, there is... There are some opinions that there is a physical olam haba and then a spiritual olam haba. There is a physical uh, olam haba where there is some concept of physical pleasure, eating from the levyasan and other things, and then there is a spiritual olam haba. How long that goes on, that's that's uh, obviously an interesting topic. But, so, but, Shem Malachi says that that love in the end of days, during the final judgment, there is no Gehenim anymore. So, so what happens? Hashem will take the sun out of its uh, envelope and he will heat up the earth I'm very sorry I'm late but an apropos headline here anger more women make a difference that's why I'm late okay good to see you as always um so, so, so uh, speaking of which, we're talking about Gehenim, and we're saying that <laughs> that good that. Topic, Rabbi. Always good. So, so we're saying that that Lassad uh, Lavo, that Lassad Lavo, there's not going to be any any Gehenim. Instead, what's going to happen is a very interesting thing. Hashem will take the sun out, and the sun will 
heat up the earth, and Rishayim will be burned by it. And Tzadikim will be healed by it. So it's interesting. There's interesting. Uh, I think it's uh, Ben Yayada. He says over here that when Tzadikim die, if they died with some sort of physical deformity or illness, whether it's cancer, whether it's blindness or crippled, they're going to arise in Tchiyasamesim in the same condition with this disability. And then Hashem will take out the sun and it will cure them. In order to show that the cure comes from God, so it's an interesting concept. I mean, the Otchias Amazing comes from God. I feel like at that point people will be pretty convinced about God, but that, that's that's the shot they say. Okay, Rishayim Nidayim Ba. How do we know that uh, that the Rishayim will be judged? That there will come a day when they'll be hot and they'll be burnt and they'll be uh, uh, destroyed and there will be no remnant left of them. So there are some of Farshim that say this is a proof to the two stages of Eilam Haba. Because what does it mean, Eilam Hazah? We, we are already talking about after the period of So they're saying means that there's this physical Gashmias manifestation of Olam Haba. Yeah. So there's this idea, so there are obviously as this being Judaism there are a million different approaches and we don't really there, there are actually no prophecies about this which is a fascinating point right there are prophecies about the coming of Mashiach there are no prophecies about Olam Haba and 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 the reason why is because it says, that nobody is able to really understand what that existence uh, will be. The first real discussions about Olam Haba happen in the Mishnah, in the Gemara, in Madrash. And the reason is, is because during from the time of the first place of Mikdash, when there was Nevuah, there was a transition to the world of Chachma, of wisdom. Now, Nevuah is actually a physical thing. It's, it's, it's a form or it uses a similar concept as the imagination. So therefore, human beings can only visualize something they have some sort of physical experience with. So in order for a Navi to be able to prophesize about, about Olam Haba, you would have to have some sort of way of picturing it. But Chachma does not require the ability to be able to picture something, right? We talk about infinite dimensional spaces, right? That we are able to reason, create theorems and proofs, create entire structures, right? Even though it's not something which we can picture. We could describe it, we can talk about it, we can uh, define rules about it. But it doesn't require us to be able to visualize it picture it, have some sort of intuitive understanding of what it would look like in our imagination. So therefore, the Chachamim who brought the power of Chachma to bear, in Chachma were able to talk about Eilam uh, um, uh, Hab. But the standard approach is that there is going to be, so there's a Machlokas if Tchiyas will come before or after B'yas HaMashiach and when, whatever. But some sort of mixture of uh, then 
there is some perspective that there's going to be a physical olam uh, haba with a final yom adin and then a uh, kind of spiritual olam haba. And then there's a question if the world will last forever or not, or in what state. Interesting, Machlok uh, is Rambam and Ramban about that, but that's all for, I guess, a different time. Okay, so, so the Gemara says that the Rishayim, they'll be burnt up by this, by this, by this, by this sun. And Tzadikim Misrapim Badachsev, Vizarchalachem Yirei Shim Shishemesh, Tzadaka Umarpe Beknafeha. Uh, uh, so the tzaddikim they will go out and frolic and they will uh, enjoy this sun. Tzaddikim. So it's very. So it's, yeah. This is after the Goyim have lost their. Yeah, yeah. This is now we we moved on. They messed up the mitzvah of the sukkah. They kicked it on the. We're 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 yeah. We're now we're at the end of days. There's going to be a final judgment day. Good to see. Come. So there's going to be a final judgment day, and the way it's being done is that they're both going to be exposed to the same element, and the same element will have different impacts on people. On the Rishayim, it will destroy them. On the tzaddikim, it will completely heal them and give them pleasure and be enjoyable. So there's not going to be a pain on them, it sounds like. It's going to be binary at that time. But, no, you guys, I think, I hope you'll make the cut. So the, the, uh, we just have to finish this Gemara and then we can make the cut, maybe. So now the, so, 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 so it's a fascinating concept, right? This notion of God presents the same thing and it has these two kind of incredibly different impacts. There's a fascinating, a fascinating uh, 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 a piece over here from Rev. And please, of the Hasidim, please don't be upset at me, um, Rev. Someone from Polanya, who was a big Talmud of the of the Balshemtiv. I saw it inside the Sefer. I forgot his name and the name of the Sefer. I'm sorry. But what was interesting is that he pointed to an Alshech. There's a fascinating Alshech by the Mun. And the Alshech makes the point, and the Ramban over there actually also points this out, but doesn't, but doesn't you know, uh, come to the same conclusion, is that by, is that by the Mun it says, Hinini mamter lechem, mazon, sorry, lechem benashamayim. I will cause it to rain, lechem from the heaven. By Makas Barod it says, Vani himtir al Mitzrayim, that Hashem will be mamtir on Mitzrayim Barat. By Sdaim, it says, Hashem is going to be mamtir gafres vomelach. And there's a Pasuk of Tilim that has a similar lotion of mamtir gafres. The Al says, and the Marsha over here says a very similar concept, is that very often things come from all these different things, the man, Barad, Stone, everything. What defined the effect or what they received was not what God sent, but who they were. The Mon, the Barad, the Gafres Famelach was all technically the same thing. And what defined it, what actualized it, what gave it its impact, right? What gave it its it's it's essence. it's um, it's essence was 
the people who were experiencing it. And depending on who they were, what they needed, how they formed themselves, this spiritual thing took on different forms. But it was defined by them. So too the sun is by its nature in many ways a healing thing and a destructive thing. It has both qualities. It is on the people who experience it how it's felt. So it's a very fascinating concept that this notion of v- reality is meant. And now I'm not going to make any 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 uh, connections to physics because I don't understand physics at all. But 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 the language. Also, there's there is this there is this language people use in physics which I don't understand. I don't pretend to. This concept of you know reality being or that that things are formed by observation. Some concept like that. Right, but forget you know any connection to physics. You find this all over halacha as well, that human perception makes halachic reality. You find this, for example, in the laws of bittel. A person has two pieces of kosher meat and one piece of non-kosher meat, and they were mixed together. Midoraisa, according to most rishonim, they're now bottle and midoraisa, according to most rishonim, you can eat all three. But there are bottom there are some opinions you have to uh, you have to throw one out. They're all kosher. A fourth piece of meat of non-kosher meat, sorry, a fourth piece of meat, meaning a second piece of non-kosher meat, falls into this mixture. Now you have five pieces of kosher meat. Okay, there's some things by Tom, maybe it's different, but by Yavish, by Yavish. It's not connected to the Gemara, which talks about like there are nine kosher, kosher no, no, shops. No, no, that's something else. Over there, you're talking about the concept of kol de parish, meruba parish. That whatever that we assume, if we're trying to figure out the source of a thing, where it came from, we go with the with the majority. Over here, we're talking about bittel. So by bittel, we say they're all kosher. But what happens now? I gave you a scenario where you could have had two pieces of, of non-kosher meat. Two pieces of kosher meat, and now you have four pieces of kosher meat. However, if there's another case, if you had two pieces of kosher meat, got mixed in with two pieces of non-kosher meat, what's the halacha? They're all asr. They're all not kosher. So what's the difference between the first case and the second case? The reality is the same in both cases. The difference is, is that if the person realized he had a suffolk when the first piece of meat fell in, it was called Naida HaSafik, it was Naida, it was known, then the laws of Bittal apply. So now you have three pieces of kosher meat, then when the fourth one falls in, it fell into three pieces of kosher meat. So there's a machlekis about that. There are some that say, yes, no, whatever. But but technically, purely, like without going into that, Pashas there, there may not be. So now the question is, how, how could this be? The reality is the same. Because perception makes reality. I'm a person and I have kosher meat. So I have kosher meat. Right. You throw in something that's not kosher, but I'm a person that's kosher meat. I'm a person that has trafe all the time. I have trafe meat. You throw something that's kosher, it's trafe because I have trafe meat. I'm a person that has trafe all the time. I'm saying, but, but we're talking over here about the laws of Bittal. Right? The laws of Bittal say 
that what that no matter your views on kosher or not kosher, if there's actually if something is really bottle but right bottle, the prechadish uh, I believe says that somebody who says I'm being machmir on the laws of bittel that I'm not going to eat something that's bottle is over a iser doraisa of baltosef, right? Bittel is real. It's gone. It's bottle. Now. What makes something bottle is perception. Is the human becoming aware of the suffix? Not only that, if you go out of halacha to the to the more drash Kabbalah, talking about this notion of constellations, right? And the uh, mazalas, mazalas are entirely perception, because if you look at those stars in a three D image, they're, they're actually there is no pattern. It's only because we see them projected on a um, on a two-dimensional surface that all of a sudden we have these these constellations. It's because the way they're manifest to us, the way we see them, our perception is what gives them reality. And I can bring you a hundred a hundred proofs to this. Is about perception, anyways. Suffolk is yeah, you're right. Suffolk, you're like saying is at its very essence the, the the lack of certainty, which is which is all about you. You're right. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. But so, but you can say, but there's a way of approaching Suffolk and saying that the laws of Bittal and these things are a hanhaga, meaning we as human beings have to find ways of living uh, in a in a uncertain world. So rove is hanhaga, meaning you can take the chance, or Bittal is hanhaga. But I'm saying I feel that it's stronger than that. That's more than simply um, a convention or like a way of dealing with uncertainty. It's actually changing the halachic identity of something which and you see this all over so i, so I think that this this even though obviously there's a concept of uh objective reality and uh all that but the role of existence as it's manifest to us and our interaction with it is a very very i think common theme you find in in halacha machshava drash and this concept is very similar it is the way that the, it's it's who the Rishayim are that make their interaction with the sun such a destructive experience, and for the tzaddikim, uh, and, and and it's fascinating that for the people of stone, it was what they made themselves that made the same shefa that could have been Michael Malachim Lechem Abirim the man. It made it this destructive gafres of uh, Fine. Oh. What? They were. They were selfish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's an interesting interesting discussion about that. About the the whole the whole role of stone is that stone are people think of chesed as a good thing, right? We should do chesed. But ultimately, we don't think of it as like we think of chesed and like justice, justice and kindness as two separate things, right? Justice is something which is an imperative, and kindness is something which a good person should do. But we think of them as as kind of not equal, right? Justice is much more of an imperative than kindness, than chesed. But the story of Stone teaches us is that, is that that's incorrect. The people of Stone, it doesn't say that they weren't just. They just were incredibly not kind. 
they they wanted only their people, their stuff. They were self-centered, but they may have been very just. But olam chesed yibana, the existence of the world, is dependent on chesed. Chesed is one of the three things that support the world, right? Boy, you just let, I was dying to ask a question. I heard a share this, af- this afternoon. Yeah. And the Dovish Kapil was talking, and he mentioned the Mishnah. Yeah. Torah of So he said, since Torah is symbolized by Moshe Rabbeinu, because he brought down the Luchot. Mm-hmm. Avodah is Aaron. But he didn't get to, he didn't say who was Gemilat Kasadim. Who? Miriam. She the because because of the uh, um of the be'er, the be'er shamirian, yeah. So so I believe yeah. So I mean if I remember correctly, I don't know how to remember. Um okay, um fine. So so that so so let's, let's move on. Okay so um on that note of Miriam, let's move on to Dugim to more some more conversation about 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 fish, about fish. We were talking some more about fish. Davarachar. Another approach, why human beings are likened to fish. Anyone who's larger, kind of a larger species of fish, or even kind of uh, in the, the same species from time to time. Uh, I forgot who told me. He bought this, there's, was this, there's a species of fish that they eat each other. I forget which one. And, and that he bought a bunch he didn't know this, and he put them all in the same tank, and like, you're not supposed to put them in the same tank or something. Then he came back like, <laughs> sometime later, and only one of them was alive. Um, so, so they, so, so they swallow each other. Afne Adam, Ilmale, Malchus, Kol So to people, if not for the rule of law, so they point out that it's talking Malchus and not Melachem. That it doesn't necessarily mean kings, although Maral, sorry, the Reb Chaim Valajdin Perkevos goes on to a whole uh, discussion about kings. But Pashtas, it means uh, the rule of law. Remember from the Mishnah Perkevos, Rabbi Chanina Skanakon, the Omer Havim Mispalel, Bishloma Shalmachos, Shaimale, Mayra Shalmachos, Ish Esrei Eyu Chaim. Below that, that if not for the fear of Malchus, one human being would swallow the other. So the Maral over here says an interesting thing. He says, why specifically this notion of fish and swallowing? So he says that fish. Now I, I, I think this is true about some other about some other animals as well. But it's not common for animals to be cannibalistic. Uh, but among fish, now I don't know the 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 science, but. Uh, among fish, he says, it's much more common. And he says, humans are the meanest to their own species over almost any other living creature. And that's why we need Bachos specifically. Now, Rabchaim Velazhna has a very interesting approach. He says, why do humans, um, uh, why do they have this, this quality that we need this uh, external force to stop us from all killing each other? He says, because... Humans were created as one, right? There was one human created first, and from them came everything. So humans have a certain eternal kind of uh, internal quality that they technically feel that they can survive alone, that the whole world is them. There's a certain inherent self-centeredness to people because each person is a olam male. 
So, Chaim Moshe says this very interesting thing. But, fine. So, so Rev. Hanina Skana Kohanim says that for whatever the reason, we have to daven b'shlom shalmachas. Now, what's interesting is, is that this is not brought in Shulchan Aruch or Poskim anywhere. Nobody paskins halacha that there's a chiv to make a bishaberach by the Sefer Torah for the Shlomo Shal Medina. There is done. People do it because of this, but it's not paskins anywhere. So many people say that the reason is because is that this was said that, that this was a rishos, it was a good idea, but it was never a halacha. So there's a famous story, I think it was during the uh, Crimean War. I forget. Where I, I where I, I think it was the Russian Tsar or maybe some Russian officials were attacking the Jews, saying that you guys over here are davening for the Shlomo. I forgot who they asked. I, think, I forgot who they asked. They asked one of the one of the big rabbanim this question. They asked him that, that the Jews in Russia are davening for the Tsar. And I'm gonna embarrass myself now, but in the Crimean War they were fighting. The, the British, French, who were they fighting in the Crimean War? The British fought in the Crimean War. Yeah, the British fought the Russians, right? They were... The Prussians, maybe? Maybe the Prussians were... So, they basically, they, their Jews are prayer, are praying for their king, so how does how does it work out, right? There seems to be, you know... Churchill fought in the So, no, I think Church, Churchill fought in the Boer War. He fought in the Crimean War, or something? I think so. Okay, I gotta go. I, you could be right. Um, okay. So, so, so the guy asked him that Hashem will make peace and give everybody a good resolution, which I don't think satisfied the person asking. Um, fine. So there's a fascinating Rabbeinu Yonah over here in Perkeyavis. Rabbeinu Yonah says, this obligation to daven for Shlomo Shalmalchus is not just because of self-preservation. Meaning it's not simply because, you know, we want Hashem to protect the Jews and that if there's all chaos... As we know, Jews uh, go first whenever there's anarchy. Although very often the Jews are the most uh, famous anarchists, unfortunately. But yeah, right. Anarchy is something which which is which is never good for anybody. Rabbi Yehuda says no. That this is a lesson that Jews cannot only think about their own sorrows. That there's an obligation for us to think and be concerned about shalom for all of humanity. Meaning if there's a war somewhere else that doesn't impact the Jews, we should still be davening for it. We should be davening for Shloma Shalmalchus, wherever it is, for the rule of law and for healthy societies across all of the world. No, no, so Shloma Shalmalchus, as opposed to Malachim, Malchus means the rule of law, meaning just an ethical rule of law. That's what Yana says, interesting concept. Okay, where are we on time? Is it almost uh, 9 o'clock? All right, so so let, let's stop here because the next I don't want to start the 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 uh, next piece yet, and we will be uh, next week. Thank you, everybody.